Today on the Matt Wall Show, you know, the goalposts have shifted in a massive way. Originally, we were told that we were locking down to flatten the curve, right? That's what the, the phrase was. Now, it seems they want us to stay inside until, you know, nobody is dying from COVID-19 anymore, which uh, means we could be locked inside forever. So we'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including The Price is Right, raising money for baby butchers, and in our daily cancellation, we will cancel a New York Times writer who thinks that the sport of running somehow discriminates against black people. Yes, that is the claim, and we will address that, all of that uh, on the way. But starting with this, a recent CNN headline claims that 68% of Americans say a vaccine is needed before returning to normal life. That was the, that is the, the direct quote from the CNN headline, which I think has since been taken down. Because it is, uh, as expected, basically fake news. The actual data uh, shows that 68% of Americans believe a vaccine is, quote, very important. It's a very important factor when they, quote, think about their willingness to return to normal activities. So that's what the, that's what the, the survey said from Gallup. And the way that CNN interpreted it and spread it around is that 68% of Americans say a vaccine is needed before they'll go back to their normal life. There is obviously a clear and significant difference between very important factor and needed. Okay, those are two different things. Even so, it's it's troubling. Um, it's troubling because it does show that many Americans seem to be at least hoping that maybe they can wait until there's a vaccine before they get back to living their lives. And even more so, it shows us what the media wants us to think we think. Okay, so what we can take from this headline is, is, is not that nearly 70% of Americans think a vaccine is absolutely necessary, but that CNN thinks we should think that a vaccine is absolutely necessary before we get back to our normal lives. So you notice the massive shift that has occurred, and not just in polls or in CNN headlines. We were originally told that we need to shut down for about two weeks, 15 days to slow the spread was the slogan. But the interesting thing about 15 days to slow the spread is the part where it says 15 days and also to slow the spread, okay? Uh, it is well past 15 days now. It's well past 30 days now. Uh, it's, we're, we're, you know, what are we? We're, it's past 45 days. I mean, we, we are going on multiples of 15. And also, the spread has been slowed. Flatten the curve was the other motto, and we've done that too. The only places in America that haven't flattened the curve are the places where there was never a curve to flatten, which is the case in many states, by the way. Yet, um, much of the country is still locked down. And the states that open are still condemned as, as being havens of ignorant, reckless, uh, redneck grandma killers. So what happened? What, what happened? Well, the goalposts have moved. Not just moved, they've been uprooted and placed in an entirely different stadium somewhere across the town, and nobody knows where. Because now we're hearing that the curve must be, and this, this is according to a Times article, uh, the way they put it, they said we have, to, we have to squash the curve. Not flatten it, squash it. Um, California is now going to remain closed until, and this is what the, the governor of California says, Newsom, until there are zero COVID-19 deaths for two weeks. Zero for two weeks. Dr. Fauci was uh, testifying in front of a Senate hearing yesterday, and he said that uh, he, he was, we should be wary of opening schools because children might not be, quote, completely immune to the effects of the virus. 
So we've gone from flatten the curve, slow the spread to complete immunity is, is what we should be looking for. And if we don't have that, then we need to be you know, careful about opening things up. We're also told by the media and public health officials that uh, reopening cannot begin until we have mass testing. Testing and tracing is the buzz, buzz phrase. Overall, the objective has shifted from flatten the curve and slow the spread, both goals accomplished, to a vaguer idea of remaining locked away until we have some kind of guarantee of safety or immunity. Now, I think a few notes of sanity are needed here. Uh, A few notes of sanity should be interjected into all of this madness. Number one, and let's just be very clear about this, we cannot wait for a vaccine. Can't do it. There may never be one, first of all. There's, there's no guarantee that there will be a vaccine. I'm not a medical expert myself. Um, I, I can't tell you that I'm an expert in how vaccines work, but I do know this. There are a lot of diseases and viruses out there for which there is no vaccine. So you never have any guarantee on that. Even if there is a vaccine, it could be years away. Okay, We cannot wait that long. Our society will be in ruins if we try to keep it shut down for that long. And the number of dead from homelessness, starvation, suicide, drug overdoses, etc. will far, far exceed even the most dire and also false coronavirus death predictions. Besides, people are not going to comply. Many people are already not complying. The idea that we should, much less that we can, keep hundreds of millions of Americans under mass house arrest for years is simply madness. And the fact that I have to explain this, that anyone has to explain it, is madness. So the Americans out there, whatever percentage they might represent, and I don't know what that percentage is, it should be zero. So if it's anything above zero, that's a problem. The percentage of Americans who are dreaming of a day when they can emerge from their homes under the protection of a vaccine might as well push that thought from their minds. If you're in that group, you just forget about it. It ain't going to happen. You are going to have to get back to your life before then. Get used to it. You are going to have to get back to your life when the disease is out there and there is no vaccine for it. Get used to it. It's going to happen. Or else you're not going to have much of a life to get back to. Second point of, of sanity. And in fact, before we get to that point, Um, I want to tell you about our friends over at Wise Foods. You know, uh, having enough food to last you in the event of a a real emergency is, well, it's it's like an insurance policy. So we all know that it's important to have health insurance and car insurance. Um, Well, what about food insurance? What about having an insurance that that you're going to have all the basic food necessities that you need? And when government resources are strained, it can be days, if not weeks, before fresh food is available Don't put yourself in a situation when you need food during an emergency, but you don't have it. Prepare for that today. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. You can order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. When preparing um, their meals, all you need is four cups of water, and the water doesn't even need to be hot, okay? Um, You simply pour the food into the water. You stir and cover. After about 15 minutes, the meal is ready. Some meals can even be prepared directly in the pouch. So it's as easy as that. ReadyWise uses the finest ingredients and latest food preparation technology to ensure optimal taste and freshness. So it's not just that you're prepared, but you're also not sacrificing just 
good taste while you're doing it. Um, it's, it's our responsibility to be prepared for emergencies, and that's something that we're all you know, learning now. So this week, my listeners get free shipping at readywise.com when entering Walsh at checkout or by calling 855-475-3089. ReadyWise has a 90-day, no questions asked, return policy, so there's no risk taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Walsh to get free shipping today. Okay, um, second point. So the first point is there's, we can't wait for a vaccine. Just can't do it. Um, second point, testing and tracing is not the holy grail that it's being made out to be. It is not realistic to expect that it will be wide, that, that you know, tests will be widely available to 330 million people anytime soon. And even if they were available, so what? I mean, let, let's say that, that every person in the country takes a test tomorrow. Great. What about next week? What about the week after, next month? If a negative test is supposed to grant me permission to go about my day and participate in society, how long does that partition, uh, permission last? I mean, are, are we going to have to take tests every single day? Wouldn't that require hundreds of billions of tests to be available, not to mention the capacity to distribute and process all of those tests? Now, I'm not saying that tests are uh, unimportant or that we shouldn't have them or anything like that. But there's a certain sort of fantastical ambiguity about the testing rhetoric that troubles me. With people acting like, well, this is the, the, here we go, here's the magical switch that we can flip. And if we could just get the, the tests going and, 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 and wide testing, well, then we could get back to our lives. Um, it, it sort of seems that our elected officials really do want daily tests for everyone forever. But who knows if that's what they want? Because all we've ever gotten from these people, from elected officials, is sort of seems. I mean, we, we don't know exactly what they have in mind or, or what they think we need in order to get back to our lives. Because there's been almost no clarity from anyone, from the top down, to include President Trump, in fact, especially him. I mean, you, you look at President Trump, it's, the way he seems to feel about the lockdowns on Twitter is very different from President Trump anywhere else. You've got Twitter Trump and then Trump at a press conference or Trump in real life. Twitter Trump has been against the lockdowns this whole time. Press conference Trump is all on board for them. I mean, Twitter Trump was, was, was shouting on Twitter all caps, weeks ago, liberate, liberate the states. We have to liberate them. And then press conference Trump the next day uh, said that he disagreed with Georgia opening up. Okay, so there's been just almost no clarity from anyone. And not just no clarity, but con contradicting themselves on a day-to-day -day basis. But we're supposed to continue sitting around, twiddling our thumbs, putting everything on hold in our whole lives until we're told otherwise, until they figure out what the hell they're doing. It cannot continue this way. Third point, this is very important. There will always be coronavirus deaths, probably, even with a vaccine. And this stands to reason because there are always flu deaths, and quite a lot of them, in fact, even with a vaccine. Tens of thousands of people might die from this virus every year, forever. 
That, that, that might well be the case. We have to learn to live with that reality. Just as we live with the reality of so many other diseases, not to mention all the other fatal calamities that threaten us every single day of our lives. Every single day you wake up and walk out of your house, even if you don't walk out of your house. No matter what you do, there are a million things that could kill you. Some of them more likely than others. And the really scary thing is, it is a certainty that one of those things will eventually kill you. You will die. Of all the potential things that could kill you, one day, and it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be before I'm done saying this sentence, one of those things will kill you. You will die. Not just you, everyone you know is going to die. Everyone you've ever known, they're all going to die. The earth itself is going to die. Okay? Now, again, I mean, these are points that shouldn't need to be made, but I think they do. Because the way some people are talking about this virus and the way they're approaching it, it's as if they think that if we can just hide away, sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice, even if it's the entire economy, 30 million jobs, whatever, we will get to a point where we're safe where we're completely safe, and then we can go about our lives, like we're immortal or something. Uh, no, I mean, that's just, that's just not the case. And that doesn't mean, you know, the, the reality that we're mortal and we're all going to die of something. That doesn't mean that we should be suicidal. It doesn't mean that we should be nihilistic. It doesn't mean that we should take a position of not caring about our lives or not trying to protect our lives or the lives of our loved ones. Of our loved ones. Quite the opposite. I think it's all the more reason to live our lives with joy and vigor and courage because we're only going to be here for a short time. You know, we may be able to momentarily extend our stay on earth by hiding under our beds indefinitely, but then what kind of life would that even be? Eventually, we have to confront the risks. We have to accept them. We have to take whatever reasonable precautions we're comfortable with and get back to living. That's, that's the only choice we have. And we just have to accept that. And it seems like we are not willing to accept that reality. All right. I want to tell you about uh, LifeLock. You know, internet scams happen. And sometimes the, the internet scams, I mean, they're the really obvious ones that you know about. I mean, that hopefully you could see coming a mile away, like the Nigerian prince or whatever. You, 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 know, you, you inherited $30 million from some relative in Africa. I mean, hopefully we all know that that's fake, although people still fall for it, apparently. But the scams are, you know, they're getting more sophisticated. And uh, there been a time, there's been a time or two when I've almost clicked on something, not because I thought I won $30 million, but just something else. It was a very clever little scam, and I almost clicked and I stopped myself. But I was very close to, you know, who knows what would happen next. In a recent study, researchers revealed a substantial rise in the number of cyber attacks performed um, by websites posing as, for example, Netflix. And that's kind of nuts because scammers are focusing more attention on people streaming content during the stay-at-home era. Uh, nobody ever accused these criminals of being dumb, and hackers are shifting their resources away from targeting businesses and towards activities that can reach us directly in our homes. On average, over 2,600 coronavirus-related cyber attacks occur each day. So... Every day we put our information at risk on the internet and cyber criminals keep finding new ways to steal identities 
That's why we have LifeLock. LifeLock is a leader in identity theft protection. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats like your social security number for sale on the dark web. Look, no one can ever prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can see threats that you might miss, though, on your own if you're just monitoring your credit and trying to do this on your own. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to lifelock.com slash Walsh. That's lifelock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. Okay, let's go to your headlines. Number one, if you are a Price of Prices Right fan, and I've always been more of a Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune person myself, but if you are a Price of Prices Right fan, you may want to reconsider ever watching the show again. And I'm not much, I'm not one for boycotts normally, but I think donating money, a company donating money to mass murderers is about as good a reason to boycott as you're ever going to find. The Price is Right this past Monday aired a primetime special called The Price is Right at Night. And RuPaul the Drag Queen was, was there for some reason, raising money for Planned Parenthood. Apparently, the show pledged to uh, match all cumulative prize winnings for the entire episode and then donate all that to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is an organization, I remind you, that kills 300,000 children every single year, more than 300,000 children every year. And we should also note that Planned Parenthood already rakes in over a billion dollars a year. Okay, from from the money they get from, from the abortions, they make hundreds of millions on abortions. And then also, they, they get $500 million a year from the government, and still do, because that's something that our supposed pro-life Republicans never did anything about when they had the chance to. So not only do they kill children, but if somehow that's not good enough reason to refrain from making them the charity that you, uh, you know, the charity beneficiary for your show, they also are a very rich organization, and they're not hurting for cash at all. There are many organizations out there that are hurting for cash. And that also uh, don't make a billion dollars a year and don't make $500 million a year from the government. And that also, oh yeah, don't kill kids. I mean, believe it or not, there are organizations out there that need money, that don't get money from the government. And that rather than killing kids, actually like feed kids and clothe kids and, 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 and provide services to kids. How about one of those instead? Number two, here's another massive, massive scandal. Um, that will get no attention whatsoever from the national media. According to a report from the local ABC affiliate in Harrisburg, the Pennsylvania health secretary's mother was pulled out of a nursing home and put in a hotel. Now remember, Pennsylvania sent COVID patients into nursing homes, just like New York, New Jersey, California, other states. On a mandate, they sent these infected people not people who'd recovered. Uh, in, in New York, it was they had to be stable. So as long as the coronavirus patient is stable, then you can send them to the nursing home. That doesn't mean recovered, and that doesn't mean not contagious. That just means uh, they're not on their deathbed yet um, or anymore. And so Pennsylvania did that too. Sent the people in nursing homes. Uh, and But at least in the case of the uh, health secretary's mother, she was protected. So shows us the government officials knew what the result would be, knew what would happen. So they protected their own loved ones while leaving the rest to die. And many of them did die. In fact, in Pennsylvania, 
Pennsylvania has 4,000 COVID deaths, 70% of them. And this number keeps going up because we talked about this, I don't know, yesterday or a few days ago. And uh, it, I, I, the number wasn't 70% then. So now what they're telling us is that 70% of deaths in Pennsylvania are from nursing homes. That leaves, if you're doing the math, that leaves around 1,000 in a state of 13 million who died outside of nursing homes, which would be 0.008% of the population. But the state just extended their lockdowns into June. 0.008% of the non-nursing home population in, in Pennsylvania has died, and they extended the lockdown into June. Number three, this isn't really a headline, but it is news. I want to show you this. This is from Avik Roy. He's a Forbes editor, and uh, he got this data from the CDC. I want you to take a look. Here's a table showing COVID-19 deaths by age group. We talked about the nursing home population. Well, it's not just nursing homes. Okay. Here are how many died in each group per million people. And this is for the United States. So you can see there, under 25, your chance of dying from it is literally one in a million. Okay. Under 45, it's 17 in a million. And then um, as you get into the 65 and over, and this, and this doesn't take into account, by the way, pre-existing conditions. So if you're 45 and under, generally speaking, your chances of dying are 17 in a million. But if you were to, but if we if we were to narrow that down, if you're 45 and under and healthy, then it's it's even less than 17 in a million. But then you look, and uh, as we get into 65 and over, then 75 and over, especially, uh, and uh, and then most of the the vast vast majority of deaths are 85 and over. And you look at the bar graph, you compare the bar for 85 and over to the bar for 45 and under or 25 and under. So we shut down our whole society for a disease that almost exclusively targets, kills people who are 75 and over or 85 and over, which is just incredible. Now, here's more. I want you to show you this, too. This is also from Roy. Um, again, CDC information. And uh, it's a map that shows the percentage of deaths from nursing homes in each state. So take a look. And we've been covering this on the show extensively. But you see there... You know, you, you look around at these states, 50%, 60%, a lot of 50s and 60%, 70%, 80%. I mean, this is truly the nursing home disease. We could rename the coronavirus the nursing home disease, NHD, NHD-19, um, because that's what it is. You, you take out the nursing home deaths and the deaths of people 75 and over, so like the, the nursing home set, uh, whether they're in nursing homes or not, the nursing home demographic, you take that out and you have a disease that's about as deadly as a bad flu. And for some demographics, a lot less deadly than a bad flu. And a lot more people who are 24 and under, especially, and a lot more kids especially, have died of the flu than COVID-19. Um, number four, the singer Brian Adams. Well, in fact, before we get to uh, the singer Brian Adams, because he's in some hot water for something that he said, uh, I want to tell you about our sponsors the Benham brothers. Um, you know, COVID-19 has had huge effect on small business owners. I mean, it's been a devastating for small business owners, which is why it's never been more important to manage your business, your workforce, your workforce and your workflow really well, because systems are crucial right now. The Benham brothers are great at this. These guys have over a dozen businesses, including a real estate empire that spans over 25, or rather I should say 35 states. I just demoted them 
35 states. Just a few weeks ago, the Benham Brothers launched a new podcast called Expert Ownership. In their new podcast, which I highly recommend, it's great, uh, the Benham Brothers interview leaders from all walks of life to help you navigate your business through these very challenging times. You'll hear from leaders like uh, Ted Cruz, Al Robertson from Duck Dynasty, many more. Um, and, you know, this is, this is what we need right now. This is the kind of guidance and leadership that we need. And at the end of today's show, I'll play a quick preview of one of their most recent interviews, which you're not going to want to miss. Go check out their new podcast, Expert Ownership, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll drop a link to their podcast in our show description. Again, that's Expert Ownership. Go check it out now. Okay, um, number four, the singer Brian Adams got himself into trouble, uh, has caused controversy because he blamed coronavirus on, quote, bat-eating bastards. That's what he said in an Instagram post. It's been a lot of uh, consternation over this. He says, tonight was supposed to be the beginning of a tenancy of gigs, but thanks to some effing bat-eating, wet-market, animal-selling, virus-making, greedy bastards, the whole world is now on hold, not to mention the thousands that suffered or died from this virus. My message to them, other than thanks an effing lot, is go vegan. People are very upset about this. I don't see the problem. I mean, it seems, it seems to be a lot of accuracy there. I mean, you know what? And you you also have to allow people. I know that this is it's salty language, and you know it's not. Who cares? I, I think you have to allow people to be angry. Okay, and the fact is that this virus did come from China, and it seems pretty obvious that there was a a, a you know a, a lab involved in there somewhere. Um, also, maybe the wet markets. I mean, people are going to be angry. And you have to allow people to be angry. This is not racism. This is just people are pissed off. And yes, they're mad at China. They should be. And that's okay. We're allowed to be. Number five, a nice segue here. Perhaps this, uh, perhaps the Brian Adams post will be discussed in an upcoming NBC special. Um, reading from Deadline, it says, As Asians and Asian Americans continue to be the target of harassment during the coronavirus pandemic, NBC Asian America, an arm of NBC News, will host a virtual town hall titled United Against Hate on May 13th, which is, what is that today? Well, it's today. You can watch it. Um, With guest appearances from comedian Margaret Cho, the town hall will examine the rise of racism against Asian Americans during the pandemic and what can be done on a legislative, nonprofit, and individual level. That's what NBC News is focused on. Okay, we got this pandemic, thousands dying, economy destroyed. What we're focused on, though, is, uh, is, is uh, people saying mean things about Asians. That's, that's the important. That's the important stuff. And that's, that's, that's the real crisis here, right? We can all agree? Yeah. Let's go to our daily cancellation. Um, and for today's, today's daily cancellation, we are canceling the writer of this editorial in the New York Times titled, Jogging Has Always Excluded Black People. Not a parody. That's the real, real title. Real editorial was written with a straight face, presumably. The piece uh, written by Natalia Melman Petrezola ties the uh, Ahmad Arbery case to a a general epidemic of discrimination against black joggers and runners, alleging that somehow black people are excluded from the activity of jogging. That's what she says. So she writes, in part, um, this disparity should come as no surprise. 
Running has been a pastime mark marketed primarily to white people ever since the jogging craze was born in the lily-white Oregon track and field world of the late 1960s. Black people have not only been excluded from the sport, one survey by Running USA found under 10% of frequent runners identify as African-American, they've also been relentlessly depicted as a threat to legitimate white, white joggers. Um, and it goes on from there, and it ends on this note. Mr. Arbery's death and the ensuing outcry is in some ways the latest data point in the sick mashup of structural racism, gun violence, and vigilantism that becomes a hallmark of American life. But it's also an example of the glaring whiteness of recreational running, a hobby that 47 million Americans embrace in part because of its enticing illusion of universalism, but that has never been and still is far from an equal opportunity endeavor. So she just put a ball, you know, she got it all in there. Structural racism, gun violence. I'm surprised she didn't tie climate change into it. I'm sure somebody has done that by now. Tied the Arbery case to climate change. I guarantee you someone's done it. If I looked it up, I could find it. But I won't because I have enough things to be annoyed about right now. Okay. Um, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time addressing this. First of all, jogging or running one of the great things about it is that it can't exclude anybody. So if, if one in 10 uh, of joggers are black, what does that tell us? It just tells us that black people generally don't like to jog. I mean, that's, that's what that stat tells us. Because if they wanted to jog, they could. I mean, literally nothing can stop them unless you don't have legs. So as long as you have legs, you can jog. And in fact, even if you don't have legs, there are people that figure out workarounds there. So basically, you can jog almost no matter what. Um, so I'm not sure. If, if white people got together and decided they wanted to exclude black people from jogging, I'm not sure how they would even conceivably do it if that was in, in a, a project they wanted to take on. Second point, and this is the obvious one. Well, this is all obvious, but black track athletes not only do black people run, but they dominate all of the running events everywhere. They dominate the Olympics. They dominate the track and field circuit in America. I ran track as a, as in, when I was in high school. I was by no, it was by no means a white sport. I can tell you that right now. It was a pretty healthy mix of, of white and black and other races as well. Um, black people certainly were not underrepresented in the sport of running in my experience. Third point. Well, there is no third point. This is just stupid. I don't, I don't even have the energy to talk about it. I mean, give me a break. Just give me a break with this stupidity. You're canceled. Natalia Melman Petrezla, you are canceled. You are excluded from ever writing anything again. Though you can still jog. I'll give you that. Because like I said, nobody could possibly stop you if you want to. The only thing stopping people from going for a jog is that most, not just black people, most people in general don't like to jog. It's, it's, it's a, most people, when they think about what's a fun thing to do, I got, a, I got 30 minutes to kill. What do I want to do with the time? Most people aren't saying, let me go run. That's like the last thing anybody wants to do for most people. Now, I actually enjoy running myself, but I realize I'm kind of a weirdo. It's a weird thing. You've got you got some time to kill. There are so many fun things you could do. Who says to themselves, let me go put on some shoes and go run down the street? Only a freak would, like me. Most people say, let me lounge on the couch, okay? Let me grab a beer. I mean, that's a much more normal thing to do. And probably in the long run, better for your knees. Uh, we're going to go to emails in a second. But first, I want to take a moment to tell you about uh, Delhi Wire's newest, most exclusive membership tier, All Access. The All Access membership tier 
is our premier level of membership. All Access members get to participate in All Access Live, our brand new interactive programming feature. Uh, one of us, Daily Wire hosts, we hang out with you each night at 8 p.m. Andrew Claven will be hosting tonight, so get excited for that. All Access members also get to join us for live exclusive online Q&As, Daily Wire's new discussion feature available on both the website and the Daily Wire app. They also get the benefits of our other membership tiers, including the ad-free website experience, access to our all-live broadcasts, um, the whole show library, you get all of that stuff. So head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join Daily Wire's all-access club with a new membership or an upgrade and get 10% off with coupon code Walsh. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe, coupon code Walsh. See you there. Okay. I want to get to a few of these emails. I've been kind of lax on reading emails recently. Um, Let's see, this is from Ben, says, Hi, Matt. And you, if you become a Daily Wire member, you also get uh, to send messages to this show through the mailbag. So that's that's the best perk of all. You don't have to be an all-access member for that. You can just be a regular member. Um, from Ben, says, Hi, Matt. What is your take on the mask issue? Some people are saying they'll refuse to wear them. Others are saying that it's our responsibility to wear them. Do you think wearing a mask is caving into tyranny? Where do you stand on this? Yeah, Ben, I'm, you know, I'm not dogmatic on the mask thing. I'm just not. I don't really have, a, I guess I don't have an official mask stance um, as, as far as this goes. Uh, I wear a mask whenever I go to the store around here because I don't have a choice, because every single store in my area requires it. So I, don't, so I wear one. Um, and, and the first thing I'll say about that is I'm, I have always been a big believer in and defender of the rights of private businesses to make their own rules and to set the terms for engagement. Um, no shirt, no no shirt, no shoes. You know, if that's their rule, so that's it. You don't have to agree with it. If you don't agree with it, you don't have to go. And so, if private businesses want to have a rule saying you have to have a mask to come in, I respect that. And I mean, what else am I going to do? Am I going to charge in there without a mask? I refuse. And then I'll just get carried out by security. Nothing is accomplished by that whatsoever. They have every right to make the rules. I don't have a right to go into, you know, Safeway without a mask on. That's not a right that I have. I have a right to go and buy stuff from Safeway if I follow the rules that Safeway or whatever other grocery store uh, sets up. And so I respect that. Now, you could point out that many stores are requiring masks because they're forced to require them by the government. I'm not a fan of that. I would like to get to a point where... Um, and I would like for that point to be right now. In fact, I would like for that point to have arrived a long time ago where people just make their own decisions and businesses make their own decisions about how they're going to handle this. Most people will choose to be responsible anyway. Let businesses decide if they want to require masks or not. The thing is, uh, many businesses will would require it and will require it, I think, whether the government says so or not. But as it stands right now, even though businesses are forced to require it, the fact is they still require it. The businesses do. And so I'll wear one um, because the other option would be, like I said, to charge in there maskless uh, just so I can get carried out by security to make a point. I'm not sure, sure exactly what the point would be or to not go to any stores. But I want to go to the store and I need to. And also that's part of my whole point. I don't want to be locked in my house. I want to get out. And so if this is part of what I need to do, I will do it. I just want to get out. And I want, if I want to go to the freaking store, I'm going to go. And I've been doing that this whole time. Um. So, you know, that's that's basically how I feel about the masks. I I think that um, I don't wear one unless I'm forced to. I've already said about masks, 
to wear, like I see people driving down the street in masks, wearing them in the car. I think that's stupid. It's kind of crazy. If you want to do it, it's your right. Go ahead. Okay, fine. Um, I think walking down the street in a mask is crazy. And if the government tries to require that, and maybe in some places they are requiring it, that is also crazy. Um, it, not only crazy, but you know, I see people jogging in masks. Not only is that unnecessary, completely unnecessary, but I, I have to imagine it's pretty unhealthy because it restricts the flow of oxygen. You know, you're, you're breathing heavily. You're, you're, you're breathing in a lot of your own fumes as you're running down. And as it gets hotter now and it's humid, I mean, think about all the germs and everything. You've got your own sweat and saliva and breath just piling up in this mask while you're jogging down the street in 85 degree temperature. That does not seem at all good for you. I, that, that, that seems much less sanitary, uh, much worse for your lungs than not wearing the mask at all. So I would recommend that people not do that. But in terms of wearing it at the store, for me, it just comes down to does the store require it or not? If they do, that's their right. I'll respect it. Uh, and I also think that, you know, here's the other thing. Um, I want to get the economy going again. I want businesses to open up again. I want people to start getting hired. I want all these things to happen. Well, a lot of businesses, regardless of what the government says, I think a lot of businesses are going to require the masks because they're worried about liability. And, and you know, we just know what's going to happen. Like eventually things are going to open up. Somebody's going to get sick and they're going to trace that sickness back to Walmart or somewhere. And they're going to try to sue Walmart for $50 million or whatever it is. Uh, that's going to happen. And so it shouldn't happen. I mean, that's the idea that you could sue a company because you got a virus while you were there is dumb, but it will happen in our litigious society. So businesses are going to want to take measures to protect themselves against liability so they can say, yeah, well, we did what we could. And if businesses have to do that in order to open up, in order to protect themselves from being bankrupted by lawsuits, then I respect that too. All right, let's go to Joe says, uh, Matt, I appreciated your analysis of the Takashi 69 Instagram video. I also love your music reviews in general. I'm sure you know this since he's your favorite artist, but Takashi has a new song out. His first song since getting out of prison, it's called Gooba. I would love to see slash listen to your review of this masterpiece. Well, thanks, Joe. Um, and although I am a huge fan of the musical artist Takashi 69, I have I had not yet had the pleasure of of encountering uh, the, the Gooba song that you're referring to. I did go and search the video on YouTube at your behest, thinking that I would offer my review of it, but you forgot to mention that I would be fired if I played even five seconds of that video on this show. So I'm not going to do that. Way too explicit for a family show. I couldn't possibly get away with it, but. I am always up for offering my musical reviews of, uh, of videos and things. So if you have any suggestions that are, you know, PG-13 or, or better, please send them along to the show. Uh, let's see here. Uh, there was one other, a couple others. I think we have a few minutes. I, this is from Sarah says, Matt, I listened to your podcast about the court case in Connecticut. I wondered if it would be better to forget the battle about the meaning of women, of woman and a girl, and forfeit the terminology and focus only on chromosomes. Should the girls and their lawyers argue that there should be sports for people with XX chromosomes because those born with Y chromosomes have an advantage in sports and should play on their own? I guess you would also need to clarify that people with two XX chromosomes 
who supplement hormones known to increase athletic ability should also be excluded from participating in that category. I am just wondering if those, if using those d- definitions might make it less emotional, less controversial, because the definition of gender is already too muddled in our current culture. I don't know if that is uh, giving up the battle that needs to be fought or just using correct scientific terms that everybody can agree on. Yes, yeah, sir, I understand what you're saying. I've heard the suggestion before, like, okay, let's just forget about this, you know, forget about uh, boy and girl bathrooms or, or ladies and, and, and men and just put XX and XY and that sort of thing. And that's kind of what you're talking about. I'm, I'm not in favor of that for two reasons. First of all, it wouldn't make a difference. It's not going to work. You're, you're not going to, when it comes to leftists and they're engaged in this war against reality and common sense and science, you're not going to be able to do an end run around them um, and, and say, okay, we'll just call it XX and XY. Not going to happen. It won't work. They won't agree to it. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, no, no I, I just, I refuse to do it. Because you talk about, you know, let's use scientific terms everybody can agree on. The word female is a scientific term that every rational, insane person can agree on. And I refuse to abandon it. Same for woman, same for girl. All of these terms, we all know what these terms mean. There are a lot of people who pretend not to know what these terms mean. And then there are a few people who are... um, crazy and 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 maybe really don't know what what the words mean uh, because if you don't know what the word female means I mean there are only a few if you don't know what the word female means you're either lying and pretending you don't know or you're crazy or you're very ignorant I mean or you're like a child and no one's ever you know you're, you're a four-year-old child you don't know but if you're an adult you should know what these words mean and I think that everybody does almost everybody does it's just that you know, we talked about the court case, and uh, who, who was it? Judge Chittigny up there in Connecticut. He's talking about trans females. He knows what the word female means. This is, this is a grown adult, okay? He's just pretending he doesn't. So I'm not going to go along with that, and I don't think we should. I think we absolutely stand our ground on this and say, no, no way. This is what a female is. The word is important. The word has meaning. It is a scientific, biological term, and we will not stop using it, and we will not use it incorrectly just to suit anyone's delusions. It's not going to happen. Finally, from Antonio, says, Hi, Matt. Recently, I started getting interested in the topic of NDE, near-death experience. Have you read the books of Tim uh, Von Lummel or Raymond Moody? Have you had the opportunity to delve into the topic? What is your opinion about these experiences? Well, Antonio, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but I can't remember exactly. Just to give my very brief summary of my my view, I'm not a big believer in NDEs, near-death experiences. Uh, Well, I guess I should say, I believe that people have experiences. I'm not saying they're they're lying about the experiences, but I think the experiences are probably neurological and psychological in nature, not spiritual. Um, All the stuff about people floating up to heaven and meeting Jesus and and meeting their dead relatives and, and that sort of stuff. I'm skeptical of all of that uh, for a few reasons. Number one, we should note that, and this to me is the is the clincher, really. People of all religions or no religion have these experiences, and their experiences are always specific to their own beliefs. So a Hindu person is going to have a very Hindu-like near-death experience. I think that should tell us something, doesn't it? I think that just tells us it's something out of your own head. 
Second, um, these experiences can be duplicated by drugs, like you know, like hallucinogens, LSD, and stuff like that. You can you can create uh, a, a a a version of a near death experience through a drug, which I think also tells us that it's psychological. And third, um, the people who've had NDEs aren't actually dead. You know, I know they might say something like, "I died for three minutes on the operating table," but they didn't really. They didn't actually die. They didn't have a their their brain activity did not cease. They weren't fully dead. Now. If somebody, that's what we call it a near-death experience. Now, if somebody actually dies and is buried and a week later rises from the grave and starts talking about the afterlife, okay, I'm going to pay attention to that. But that's not this. This is near-death. And besides, what is the claim? Is it that like when you get close to death, your soul sort of accidentally slips out of your body and floats up to heaven? I just think that metaphysically it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the fourth thing is, and this is important, nobody has ever come back from the afterlife, from one of these NDEs, I mean, at least when we talk about documented modern cases, nobody's ever, as far as I'm aware, come back from the afterlife with anything very special to say, as, as far as I could tell. Mostly, they just report the same kind of experiences that other people do, which, again, is a, is a, is a version of the experience that a Muslim would have or a Hindu or anybody else, uh, which, which, which also, again, often sounds like an LSD trip. And um, sometimes they come back with a message from the great beyond. I mean, people have written entire books about messages they got when they went to heaven after they uh, supposedly died on the operating table or whatever. But the message is, you know, not to be rude about it, but the message is never very impressive. It's always just something that I could have told you without without having to die to get the message. Um, It's never something that you would think a person would need to die and go to heaven to hear and report back. So if somebody ever has an NDE and they come back, and they have a message that they couldn't possibly have known, you know, or they have a, a prophecy that, that comes true, or like something like that. Then I think, okay, my ears are going to perk up. I'm going to pay attention. But if if they come back and all they have to say is, you know, basically love each other and live your life to the fullest and stuff like that, I don't know. I just don't think that God needs to pull any any soul from their body to bring them up to heaven to tell them that and then send them back. I mean, they could have gotten that from a greeting card at Hallmark, from the you know the greeting card aisle at Rite Aid. So. Um, that's why I'm skeptical of all of that. But, uh, you know, I'm, as with anything else, I'm open to new evidence. So, uh, and I do, find it, I do find it interesting. So thanks for that email. Thanks everybody for watching and listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. What uh, would you give as just, just advice for an entrepreneur, business owner right now who's going through these tough economic times, but did you have any specific advice that you give them as it relates to their money? I think you're in a 60, 90, 120 day mindset. You're only running the business for that amount of time. I think that's where I would tell you to start because when you do that, guys, here's what happens. I get clarity for 60 days or for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days. And and we're running the business based on that because the world, the economy is going to change and get back to a much more normal situation. So the issue is how do we stay alive? 
that's, that's my right. fear is how many businesses will absolutely close the doors forever because of this. But if you can hang on, better days are coming. That's literally where my brother and I are right now. I mean, we're in this. So we're not like sitting here as talk show hosts, thought yeah. leaders. We're actually in the trenches right, right now making very difficult decisions. Early in our business, we created three budgets. We created a livable, a comfortable, yep. and an incredible budget. Great. And so we're pivoting immediately to the livable budget. 